0: Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Look at this. This passage is astounding, what Paul says. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. But I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters... I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. That's the word of the Lord. I want you to to bring these two ideas that Paul sets before himself and before us. One, he says it three times. I have not gotten there yet. Three times. First he says, I have not already obtained all of this. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about Christ likeness, the goal of humanity to be made one with God in Jesus Christ and to become like him and to be with him. He says, I have not yet obtained this. Two, I have not yet arrived at the goal. Three, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. Three times. In case you missed it the first time, right? And then, right next to that, he goes on to describe the spiritual life. I press on to take a hold of it. I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which, Christ, uh, for which God has called me heavenlyward, uh, heavenward in Christ Jesus. I have not gotten near that, there yet, but I am pressing on. I am moving forward. I'm going down the path. Christianity then is less a place that you arrive in this life and more of a journey that you move forward on for the rest of your life. And so these things like knowing Jesus and growing in him and showing him, these are things that we are constantly cultivating as we grow closer to Jesus Christ. It is more of a pathway is the word I like to use. That entails that there's always supposed to be movement in your spiritual life. Now, I don't want you to confuse movement with busyness. Busyness is not a quality of the kingdom of God. Movement is. Movement entails uh, constantly asking ourselves as Christians, what's next for me? What's next for me? If you are a, a new believer and you you just met Jesus Christ for the first time in your life and you just got converted, born again as uh, as we like to say, you should be asking yourself, okay, now, what's next? You're 90 years old. You've been walking with Jesus faithfully for 50 years. You should be asking yourself, all right, this has been awesome. What's next? You've been baptized in water, and you're like, gosh, this is amazing, incredible start. I love this. What's next? You're involved in community, and it's been going awesome. You're starting to get comfortable. What's next? This should be on the tip of all of our lips as Christians. What's next? What does God have for me, for us? But that's also kind of a tricky question, right? What is next? Maybe you're asking that question right now and your answer to that is, I don't know. And the church is designed by Jesus for the answering of that question and the cultivation of that question. Jesus created a church of his disciples to make disciples, to be disciples. The difficulty with that though, maybe you've you've felt this in your life, is not everything works, not everything that works for you works for the person right next to you. And here's why, is every single one of you is a unique individual in your makeup, in your spirituality, in your emotions, All the things that make you, you, you are a unique individual that has the potential to be brought into a dynamic relationship with the living God. That means that spiritual growth for us is sometimes going to be nuanced. The way that you practice your spirituality might not look exactly the way that I practice my spirituality. Sometimes it's simple, other times it's complex. Why? Because we're complex. Can I get an amen? Amen. Everybody's different. I mean, think about it. This isn't some standardized test that we're taking. This is a living, dynamic relationship that we're, we're in with God. And he is in with people, people who have different personalities. Some are introverted, some are extroverted, some are ambiverted, so I'm told. Don't believe it. There's different stages in life. Some people are going through mourning and loss. Other people are celebrating new beginnings. There's different spiritual needs, different emotional needs, different relational needs. Some people have different problems than other people, on different scales as other people. And there's different seasons in life. And the list goes on and on. That's, that's why there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to individual growth. Now, have you ever experienced this where you're talking to somebody else and you just felt like, gosh, I wish I could, I wish I could do that. I'm just not there. Or maybe it just felt really condemned, uh, condemning. Like, ah, oh, I just feel like my spiritual walk isn't like that person, or I'm not as good a, of a mom as that person because they're doing that, or I'm not a, a, as good at my job as this person, or I don't do. And we just begin to compare our our spiritual journey to other people. And We don't need to do that because what works for one person doesn't always work for the other. And yet, it is still our responsibility as Christians to be disciples and make disciples. And the church exists so that everybody that is a member of it can be and have an opportunity to walk with Jesus Christ. So, how do we do it when everybody is so different? Maybe I can help with a, a bit of an illustration. Everyone in my house is similar, different needs, different desires, different wants. Uh, the desires of my five-year-old boy, Jude, are very different than mine. I, my desire is for a 30-minute nap every day in the middle of the day. Jude's desire is for monster trucks and anything that crashes or wrecks things, right? Uh, our needs are different. Abby, my five-year-old daughter, has different needs than Brianna, my wife, or me for that matter. I need uh, to rotate the tires on my car. Abby needs a new unicorn. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're very different. And Brianna and I are different from each other in that regard, too. So many different needs and desires and wants. We're not the same. And yet, all four of us still have the same fundamental needs. Can you think of a few? (laughs) Breathing. Right? Oxygen. We all eat food. We all need to sleep. Some of us get more of it than others, but whatever. Who's judging? (laughs) There are fundamental needs that everybody has in common, and it's the same with our spiritual walk with God. We're all different in so many regards, there's nuance and complexity, but we still have the same fundamental spiritual needs. And even though no two of us are the same in everything that we need, there are still what we might call best practices that are fundamental to all of our spiritual growth, similar to breathing and sleeping. Best practices are really our basic spiritual, emotional, relational needs as followers of Jesus. Have you ever uh, gone to get an oil change and... And at the end of the day, you're told, like, there were 15 or 17 or 35 other things that you needed. And that might actually be true. But I know that you went into it saying, I don't want all of those things. I actually have a car that needs, like, 25 different things. I don't care. I just want my oil changed, okay? And then you go in, and it's like, you need a new air filter, and you need, like, a, the hanging green tree air fresheners out of date. Actually, your car is terrible. You should upgrade, get a different one. You know, all of these things, you're like, I just, I know everything you're saying is true. You know, I know my transmission just fell out of, out of, the, <laughs> out of the chassis. I just want an oil change, okay? And I'll leave it right here in your shop because it doesn't run. I just want an oil change. Perhaps we should be asking some of those things about our spiritual life. So many different needs. What are our basic needs? What are the common denominators needed for setting a foundation? I believe, from what I've seen in scripture, that there are at least seven of what we might call best practices. Practices that effectively posture us to follow Jesus and to receive from him everything that he has for us practices that Jesus taught, his apostles taught, and whom they taught others to replicate. In that reality, we call these our next steps. These are our best practices because they're not everything that there is, but they form a pathway of next steps, a foundation by which everything else can find its alignment. Now, I'm going to just start reading through all seven. This will be my seven-point sermon. And I want to give a caveat. None of these are novel. None of these are going to shock you. We're not going to get to like point three and be like, spiritual practice number three, underwater basket weaving. You know, like, oh, I never thought about that. No wonder there's a hole in my heart, you know. All of these are going to be, Probably practices you are aware of and have at least heard of before. I want to bring them out to affirm that they come from the scriptures and they're important, and to weed out all the noise, the busyness of the culture around us that tells us the hundreds of things that we're supposed to adopt. And let's just start here. So, what I'm going to do is go through these seven, I'm going to identify them from scripture, I'm going to share ways that we do it at reality and how it can benefit and transform your life. Starting with number one, which is the easy one, which is what you're all doing right now, so we can start with some encouragement, Sunday morning corporate gatherings. This isn't just a fun cultural thing that we do, because like, that's an American thing to do. Like, This is actually really important. In the scriptures, we see that apprenticing Jesus involves the gathering of his people around the presence of Jesus as his church, on a regular basis. we see this in places like uh, Acts chapter 20 verse 7 where uh, on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, the Lord's Day, it says when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them uh, intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And all of a sudden, almost seemingly overnight, all of these Jewish adult males stopped meeting on Saturday and began meeting on Sunday. That is a really big deal. People who have been meeting on Saturday for centuries, all of a sudden, after this guy rises from the dead and the Spirit of God falls upon them, they change the day. That's a big deal. Might not be a big deal to us, huge deal to them. That's like all of my family and extended cousins waking up at the same time one day and saying, you know, Manny Pacquiao isn't that great of a boxer. Never going to happen, bro. except by an uh, extreme act of the living God, like this. They saw the Messiah, and they immediately began celebrating his resurrection by meeting on the day that he rose from the dead. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we're told by a writer not to neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this practice is very simple for us. We take seriously Sunday morning gatherings the regular attendance of Sunday gatherings, it's actually a big deal to us. It's not just social hour. It's not just something to do because it's a cultural norm. It actually shapes and forms the people of God. And it's not, by, uh, it's not so much by uh, a single encounter, although that might happen. It's through the ruthless regularity of gathering with God's people where you are formed at the level of your character and in your habits, I like to think of it as redirecting and recalibrating. We are constantly redirecting our hearts to God. Every time we hit pause on our week, on a Sunday morning, and we gather to sing and to praise Him, think about that for a moment. After all that you've gone through during your week, all the chaos that ensues, all the stuff, the messages that are being thrown your way, all the disappointments and setbacks, you hit pause on all of that and on a Sunday morning you say, I am redirecting my attention to Jesus Christ and I'm praising his holy name. We also recalibrate our hearts to God by listening to what he says in his word corporately and we go out and we respond to it. As we do that, the people of God, we begin to be formed over time into who he intended us to be. That's the first one. Good job. The second one is learning. Learning about Jesus. Learning about God. Part of apprenticing Jesus is by learning about who he is, what he does, what he loves, what he doesn't love. Think about this for a moment. You know, when I first met my wife, Brianna, uh, I thought I was in love with her. I wasn't. I was attracted to her. I didn't know a single thing about her. I was attracted to her when I first saw her. And for good reason. She's a good-looking woman. It wasn't until I started to get to know some basic things about her, you know, like her name. <laughs> and things that we shared in common, and things that she, uh, we didn't share in common. All those things. just got to know her that I actually began to uh, feel that connection between the two of us uh, until you start to know someone it's just a mere attraction it's the same with Jesus Jesus said in John chapter 17 verse 3 this is eternal life that my disciples may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent eternal life the reason I came is that people would know me <clears throat> in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I love this we're not just to learn things about Jesus we're to learn from Jesus he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So part of that is to learn. That can come from the scriptures. Some of you might do that in community, asking questions, researching, studying the Bible. Others, it might be reading books. In others, it might, just, uh, it might be a variety of different things. Uh, at reality, we try to create an atmosphere for that through classes. For those of you that, that don't even know how to start, try investing in some of our classes. We have a handful of classes that will help you get started on what we believe to be fundamental to being a, a member of reality, and they're very simple. We have like three or four. We call them 101, 201, 301, 401. 101 is essentially who we are as a church, where we're going as a church, and your Uh, part in that from there if people are like yeah i feel like the holy spirit is calling me to be a part of that we offer that class every two months next one uh, february 4th the next one we begin to hone in on on practices how can we grow deeper in our faith and 401 is simply uh, a class to train on how we can move outward and share our faith and engage in those around us Now, these aren't meant to give you everything that you were ever intended to know. They're simply there to launch you so that you can get started. But whether it's that or or whether you're a self-initiator, part of being an apprentice of Jesus is to get to know Jesus, to study Jesus, to know his church, and to know yourself and your place in all of that. The third one, small groups. When I say small groups, I mean not this group, right? I mean, groups of like five to 12, where you have the ability to develop rich, deep spiritual relationships, not just with Jesus, but with each other. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as soon as the Spirit of God fell upon the early church, they immediately devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers, to the prayers. Acts 4.32, we get a, a deeper glimpse into that. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Deep spiritual relationships right there. See that? And no one said that any of these things belonged to them that was his own, but they had everything in common. They're sharing life together. They're sharing their stuff with one another. They really care about each other. The Apostle John would say, if we walk in the light, now he's saying right now this is a part of our identity, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, and we're apprenticing this guy, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Huge part of being a follower of Jesus is not just the corporate gathering, but to have deep spiritual relationships with other people. One of the ways that we do that at this church, you may already have this in your life, but if you don't, we offer small groups, specifically home groups, which is exactly what it sounds like. People meeting in homes, in small groups, uh, to go deeper in their faith together. I, I, think, of, uh, I think of groups like Brandon and Joshua Diamano uh, started recently, and uh, people who have not gone to uh, reality for very long, all of a sudden getting plugged into their group, and uh, all of a sudden getting accountability and connection, finding people, meeting deep, lasting friendships. Uh, I think of uh, the Hour group. Uh, the Ridenhours, I love uh, Lori and Jeff. They are incredible leaders. And yet in their group, which is a fairly large group, leaders have emerged to kind of split that group off into smaller groups. And all of a sudden in that group, other leaders are emerging. Their gifts are coming to the surface. I love stories like that. I think of the, uh, the Lewises, Ken and Laura, uh, and how uh, a grouping of people have felt home there. Uh, Not just in general, but people that just had kids seem to be drawn to the Lewis's uh, and feel this sense of belonging there. Incredible what the Lord does in specific groups. The benefit of this is that you have a place to belong and a place to grow. Now, this is different than just hanging out with your buddies, right? Going out and grabbing a bite to eat. That's all fair and good. But what I'm talking about is a steady diet of spiritual, emotional, and relational nourishment and challenge. So some questions you should be asking yourself. Do I have, do I have a group of, uh, do I have a community that, that, that regularly discusses the scriptures? Does prayer happen? More than just we pray for the meal, you know? Like, do we actually pray? Is prayer a part of our group? Are the scriptures a part of our group? Is there an accountability system? Are we watching out for each other, challenging each other in areas that we have shortcomings? Is multiplication happening? Is your group turning into other groups that are turning into other groups? Because we see that in the New Testament. They're not homogenous. They're not cliques. Are the gifts of the Spirit being identified in your group and being used? Are people flourishing because their gifts are being used for the service of one another? Is there care happening in your spiritual community? care to the sense that people are being shepherded by one another, cared for one another, watched out for one another, and people are being lifted out of the mire and set upon the rock. Is that happening? That's the promise, the opportunity we see in the New Testament in Christ's church. Pray for that if it's not happening. And if you don't know where to look, consider joining a home group. They're designed just for that. Fourth one, serving. This one is a doozy. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. If anybody should be serving, it should be people serving the king. And yet Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, even the son of man came not to be served but to serve. How did he come to serve? More than anybody. (laughs) In an unprecedented fashion. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Following Jesus, if we're truly wanting to follow him and imitate him and apprentice him, we got to serve too. We got to not just serve out of duty, but understand the delight that Jesus was pinpointing and identifying. Luke chapter 22, verse 27 Who is greater, the one who reclines at a table or the one who serves the table? Is it not the one who reclines at a table? I am among you as the one who serves. So one of his greatest delights was to wash the feet of his disciples. Did you know that just for this, the Holy Spirit has gifted everyone in the body of Christ for such a a mission? Did you know that if you are a believer, you have spiritual gifts? You might not know what they are, but you have them. They might be laying dormant, but you have them. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. I love that because it entails that even our spiritual gifts are set upon the foundation of service. We have been gifted by the Holy Spirit for each other. You want to tap into that and don't know how? I would encourage you to just start doing stuff for other people. You might mess up everything horribly. It's okay. Stop doing the horrible thing and do something else. And do it, asking Jesus to help you, asking for the filling of his Holy Spirit until people's eyes start lighting up and you'll never be the same again. When you find your your place in the kingdom of God, I think of uh, people like uh, Jenny Delacroix serving upstairs week after week, coordinating and uh, loving on children and on uh, other volunteers. I think of uh, ben and Polly Carnes, who showed up recently at this church to be close to their family, immediately just started moving stuff. Just started helping. Anywhere that they could, just, starting, just started helping. I think of uh, Tom and Steve and Joe uh, serving on the Safe Church team before them. Nate Brock just serving on the Safe Church team. You never see them, but, but, but you're probably thankful for them. Paramedics. Unseen all over the place, creating an atmosphere for us to worship God. I think of Crystal and Josh, Joshua, uh, who help lead in ushering into the presence of God. I think of the worship teams. I think of Cody Weezin and Alex and uh, Robert and Colette and James Kappen and TJ on the drums and uh, Gabrielle on the keys, and so on and so forth, people that just feel a calling and have gifts to create an atmosphere for us to, to meet Jesus Christ. I think of Dan in the parking lot, the first person you see. I think of John and Colette out at the doors. I think of a, that time Anthony and Melvin came to the offices and just helped me rip up carpet and took big old sledgehammers to the wall. Their eyes lit up, they're just destroying stuff. And I think of a crew from Epic that just comes and greets at the door and helps in any way that they can. And I'm just so thankful for, for people like that. It would take me an hour to get through the hundred volunteers that we have. But incredible. The benefit of serving, and if you don't know how to start, try just joining a ministry team. Uh, that's an effective way to practice using your gifts or just identifying what they are and what they're not. Because you might join a ministry team and find out, oh, I'm terrible at leading worship for kids, you know? Or like, oh, I don't actually, I'm really bad with people. Maybe I don't greet at the door. (laughs) Or I thought I was, you know, made for the worship team, but it turns out I'm tone deaf, but whatever. (laughs) But there's a place for you. There's a place for you somewhere doing something, being a part of the mission of God and seeing how God can use you to impact people's life. Um... The fifth one is spiritual devotion. Following Jesus is foremost about being with Jesus. It's not foremost about doing stuff for him. It's about being with him. And all of these practices are ultimately about being with him and following him. In Mark chapter 3 verse 14, this was my personal verse last year. It says that Jesus appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and then he might send them out to preach. Meaning that the primary calling of the disciples is not to do stuff for God, it's to be with God. And all the doing ends up flowing out of the being. You were meant to know God in a personal way and to be filled with his life. You were meant to know him and to be with him. John 15, Jesus issues that uh, invitation, abide in me. Alan, uh, Alan preached about that last week, abiding in the vine. And Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're not just next to Jesus, we're one with Jesus as his disciples. And we must spend time with Jesus. Some of the most powerful ways of doing that is slowing down to hear his word and to, to interact with him in prayer. If you uh, have never done that before or maybe you fell off the rails, no problem. God does not condemn us back into the scriptures, right? He, br- he draws us by his kindness, the book of Romans says. And so just open up the Bible again. See where it takes you. Uh, I shared earlier at the beginning of, uh, of the sermon, we're going through the New Testament. Hop onto the website, look at what we're reading through on a daily basis, and just read the scriptures. Just simple. And anticipate and expect that God will, God will meet you in the word of God. For some of you, you might want a little extra. You might want a little more than information. You, want, you might want transformation. So begin to interact with the scriptures by slowing down. Uh, We have resources on our website for how to meditate on the Bible and to pray through the Bible. However it is, just open the thing up and consider it God speaking into your life right now. You know what the benefit of that is? Rivers of living water. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what you were meant, that's how you were meant to function How many of you can honestly say today, rivers of living water? How many of you, if you were honest, like I am a dry well. I'm tired, I'm burnt out, I'm empty. Jesus invites you. Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Apprenticing Jesus, right? What does he tell us to do? Take my yoke. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what you were created for. Supernatural rest and rivers of living water. Don't know where to start? Encounter Jesus in the word. Start there. Sixth one is giving. Generous, cheerful giving. Part of being an apprentice of Jesus is learning how to be a good steward of our money. Jesus, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus spoke frequently about possessions and about money. 16 of the 38 parables that he gave were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, that's about 288 total deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, a little under 500 verses on faith, 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Seems to be a big deal to God. Why? Because God wants my money. Well, the Bible also says that God owns the cattle on a 1,000 hills. That's his way of saying, it's all mine anyway, bro. Why does he talk so much about money? Because Jesus cares about the human heart. Here's about your heart. And elsewhere, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's another way of saying we tend to spend our time, resources, and treasure on the things that we actually worship. And so, in order to get after our heart, it would seem that Jesus goes after the things that we have. That's why when the Bible, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9 speaks about giving cheerfully and uh, uh, generously. It uses language about worship because that is truly how the American worships. Now, there's a lot of ways to be generous with our time, with our money, with our efforts, with our resources, with our talent. There's all sorts of ways to give as well. One of the ways that is... At the top of the list in the scriptures is God specifically tells his people to do it through the practice of the regular giving of what he calls tithe. Tithe comes from the Hebrew word meaning 10%. It's from uh, the Old Testament where they gave a 10%, the first fruits of their income. And in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, uh, Paul tells us that this became a regular practice in the New Testament church. The only thing that changed was that it went from a duty to a delight. And the gospel allowed people to have some variation. Sure, there was a widow with her mite. She couldn't afford 10%. She gave two, uh, two mites. But for her, it was incredibly self-sacrificial. There were the rich young rulers who gave thousands, but for them it was nothing. And in God's eyes, it wasn't a lot at all. God looks at the heart, and he calls us to give generously from the heart. Now, some of you, you were stoked on this, this sermon up until this point. And then you're like, okay, why do preachers always be, got to be talking about money? Well, a couple things. One, this is the second time I've, talked, uh, I've spoken about money. I've preached almost 600 sermons at reality. Second time. So I should probably talk more about money. <laughs> Two, I totally get it. Before I was a Christian, I was raised in the church, and I was raised in a denomination uh, that... I don't know if you're familiar with the terminology, but it was like a word of faith, name it, claim it, prosperity theology. So for the first 16 years of my life, I was constantly being told by rich, wealthy pastors in bespoke suits and Rolls Royces to give everything that I had because God would make me rich like them. And I and my family that struggled and my friends that struggled were constantly being pressured to give uh, to things like people's private jets. That was, that was real for me. And so I left the church because of that. I, I wasn't born again until I was 20, 19 or 20. I left the church because of that. I was like, if this is what Jesus is about, I don't, wanna, I don't want a part of this. And then I got born again at Reality Carp when I was 19. And I had to face this thing about giving again. And when I began to read this with my wife when we first got married we stumbled upon a few passages. One of them was Malachi chapter 3. I'll read it in a second. But we began to weed out some of the the distortions that I had grown up my entire life to see what giving is really all about. It's trusting a God who has everything. And we read, Brianna and I read Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, which says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down to you a blessing until there is no more need. And in those early years, this was very difficult for us. We didn't have a lot. We lived paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes not even that far. And there were moments where I would... (laughs) I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but we were like, okay, we could either... We could either pay the bills or we can give as an act of worship to God. And I remember a couple times where uh, there's this one specific time where our, our cupboards were empty. We had no food. And we're struggling with how we're going to make it a couple weeks to eat. And I was like, okay, I don't think God will mind. Probably won't. But gosh, it would be so nice to like, put some food on the table with this. And Brianna stopped me. I'll never forget this. And she said, that's God's money. And we're going to worship him, and he'll take care of us. And we offered that as an act of worship, and I kid you not, a stinking bag of groceries landed on our doorstep within a few days. This blew our minds because we never told anybody about that. There was another time where uh, the same thing encountered. We were really struggling. We didn't know how we were going to make it. Our first kid, Abby, was born. Insurance covered part of it, but there was a little other part that just kind of just emerged to the top and was devastating. It was devastating to us. Our tie wasn't enough to cover it, but again, I was like, gosh, be so nice to cover this bill. And again, nope, that's God's money, we're going to worship him, and he'll take care of us. We worshiped him with that tithe and offering, and I kid you not, an anonymous check shows up in the mail that's for the exact amount of that hospital bill. Stuff like that would happen. We never told anybody the things that we were struggling with, and we continue to look back at Malachi chapter 3 and says, that that was a true promise. God takes care of our needs. And not only did he take care of our needs all of those years, but it did something inside of our hearts for Brianna and I. Now we'll never doubt. We have seen the faithfulness of God. Now, the giving and the generosity and the tithes and the offerings, we do that without even thinking. This belongs to God. We worship Him with it. He will take care of our needs. Not only do we do that, but the church, I don't know if you know this, the church tithes on its tithe. Uh, More than 10%, actually, more like 17%. And that goes out to missionaries, to other church plants, to local uh, work in the city. So much do we believe in the spiritual practice. that's actually informed uh, the way that the church runs so this might be a hard one for you that's okay no pressure but if you are a part of reality i just want you to try it out i want to invite you into a life-giving practice that you might not ever have tried before and see how god might use it to build your faith your love and your joy and also to care for your needs the last one is reaching now, you might have noticed that most of these are about our spiritual development and about other people, uh, our relationships with other people. This one is about not us. <laughs> it's about reaching our neighbor, it's about reaching the nations, right? It's about reaching people on the fence. And this one is really important as well. Uh, followers of Jesus are known for their love for one another, John 13, uh, their love for their neighbor, Mark chapter 12, and their commission to make disciples. Pastors aren't just commissioned, you are commissioned to make disciples of the nations, of your neighbor. And you'll notice, not only is this a calling, but you'll find that if there is no outflow in your life, your soul might grow incredibly emaciated and starving. Uh, To give a a short illustration, a few years ago, I took uh, about 50 people from our church to Israel on a kind of a Bible tour. And we went through Israel for about a week with our Bibles open, just reading about Jesus and all the places that Jesus was. It was awesome. Maybe we do it again. I don't know. But one of the places that we hit was uh, the Dead Sea. And Dead Sea is fascinating because it's the, lowest po- it's the lowest body of water in the world. And so all of the streams in that area make their way to the Dead Sea. The result of that is a very mineral-rich body of water. Uh, there's so much stuff in it. Salt, uh, just everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there's so much salt content in the water that you can actually float on the surface. You can't even get to the bottom. Very difficult. And there's so much minerals in this body of water that you go there, uh, and you'll just see like all these European dudes just with like, not a lot of clothes on just like splashing themselves with this salt water, just like, ah, just like healing properties, you know. Aah! Okay, two graphics, sorry. It's like this mineral-rich healing pool of water. But there's a downside. It has no outflow. It has nowhere to go. And as a result of that, nothing can live in that body of water. No fish, no animals, no plant life. Hence the name, the Dead Sea. You're like that too. You might be reading the Bible and praying. You might be involved in ministry, doing all sorts of stuff to enrich your life. But unless you're going out, You may find over time your soul becoming homogenous and emaciated. You were meant to make disciples. You were meant to affect those around you. And there's so many ways of doing that. Uh, It could be as simple as just engaging your neighbors with love. If you don't know how to do this, if it's scary, just start talking to people outside of the church. Get to know them. You're the salt of the earth, man. You're the salt of the earth, lady. Just start getting to know your neighbor. You know who does this that I just love is Gerald Torres. For those of you that might know Gerald Torres, uh, he's this big old, yoked, uh, bald guy that I love. Um, And he is just so good at this. I mean, the guy could stand between a mother grizzly bear and her cub. And within minutes, the grizzly bear is like, hey, gee, you want to go get some tacos afterwards? You know, like, he's just got a knack for it. You might not have a knack for it. It's okay. Okay. Just start getting to know people. Um, Start blessing your neighbor, people outside of the church. Uh, Start eventually, we are not just to be a blessing to our neighbors, but we are also called to share our faith eventually. Uh, The person I think of that does this so well is uh, my friend Alan Mask, who works in a, a, a big industry, and he's just always looking to speak about his faith. And we were in this conversation together, and he was just sharing with me how, Uh, how ripe it is in Santa Barbara, people are hungry to know that there's more to live for here. People are not hostile to spirituality here. This is a spiritually hungry city. Now they're hostile towards the church. That's okay. That'll come later. But they're curious about spirituality. You might be shocked at what would happen if you opened up a conversation with somebody about God. Maybe try it. And of course, helping people following Jesus, not just blasting them with Jesus, but walking with them in relationship. Um, obvious, the obvious ones here, I think of, are Luke and Eleni, who we just prayed uh, are praying out to the unreached. I, I think of the Medes, uh, going off to the Arab Gulf. Uh, but then there's others that you probably don't even know about. Uh, I think of uh, John and Jenny Hannon. I don't know if you know John and Jenny Hannon. Um, but they, they have discipled more people than I can count. The Medes, actually, are one of them. Uh, people on the worship team, people going to the unreached, people active in the church, people outside of this church. And most of you probably have no idea who John and Jenny are. The quiet warriors of the kingdom. And all they do is walk with people, one at a time, through the kingdom of God. Incredible. I think of heroes like that, and people like that in the body of Christ. And it reminds me of how truly tremendous this invention that is the church that God created. When I say the church, I don't mean the building, I don't mean the staff, I don't mean the structures, I mean this incredibly divine supernatural thing that Jesus created, which is the people of God gathered around him by the Spirit of God. It is truly incredible what a church that realizes its potential is capable of doing. This is what you were made to do, is to reach out to others and make disciples, to complete that circuit of spiritual development. Those are the seven in my six months of direct study on this subject. This is where the scriptures have led me. This is what my research and experience has confirmed. And when I look back on my own journey, I see how each of these has played a part in my own relationship with God and other people. And remember, there is nuance. As you grow in your faith, you might start to develop it and might look a little different. But there are probably going to be variations of these seven. These are foundations. These are our oxygen and our food. A couple things before we close. One, be careful not to be overwhelmed by my list of seven things. Maybe you're like a single mom with like four jobs, and <laughs> you're like seven. That's like, just stop me at one, okay? That's okay. Remember, these are just foundational principles. Simply get before God and say, hey, what's missing in my life? What's next, God? If all you can do is wake up in the morning and open your eyes and look up and say, help, start there. But ask that question. What's next? Second, second warning. These are not magical formulas. In fact, you could do all seven of these for the wrong reasons and still turn into a legalistic, self-righteous, angry, bitter person. You know why? Because it's not about these practices. Think of walking through uh, a park with somebody that you really enjoy. And think about you being with that person you just wanted to be with. Maybe it's a personal friend. Maybe it's a coworker that you just <clears throat> really admire. Maybe it's your childhood hero. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a, an estranged family member. You're walking down the beach with your face in your screen the whole time. What happened? You missed what it was all about. Or maybe you're like walking just with the most incredible person that you have ever met in your life. And you're just like, okay, I'm walking, walking down the path, walking down the path. This is the path. I'm going to turn right here. This is awesome. Turning left, right, left, right, left. I'm on the path. I'm on the path. I'm on the path. And right there, the greatest person you've ever known in your life, completely ignoring them. These best practices are not about the practices. It's about Jesus. You were made to be with Jesus. You're made to learn from Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to chase Jesus, to pursue Jesus, to be pursued by Jesus, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So these things are only successful to the degree that they open your life up to Jesus. If they're not, stop doing it. Right? Chase Jesus. To anyone here who desires to follow Jesus, just want to invite you to do something. I'm going to ask Alex and the rest of the team to come out right now. Take take an inventory of your own spirit and your own spiritual condition and ask yourself, is there anything that I'm missing? Is there anything that God wants to treat? What are the next steps for me? What is God speaking into my life? Where in my life do I need to surrender in order to live more fully in God. I gave you a few best practices, but maybe I missed something that God wants to minister to you in your life right now. Whatever the case is, let's let 2018 be a special year for this church. A year where we leave our nets behind. And we press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of us. What's next for you?